Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And remember, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at JTime Sports. I repeat, at JTime Sports on Twitter and IG. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends about us if you like what you hear. And definitely give me a shout out. Uh, Instagram DM, Twitter DM, at me. I'm always looking at that kind of stuff. And in this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NBA, what's going down in the association. We'll be talking about the NFL, what's happening there. We'll take a peek at some Major League Baseball, what's going down there. And then we'll have our best for last. And I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. All righty, guys, welcome in to the show, an absolutely loaded show uh, on some personal news. My last show ever being 23. Uh, I turn 24 tomorrow, actually. Um, so this is my last show being 23. But hey, I, I, I want to give you guys a big show today. Like I said, last one at this age. So absolutely loaded show today. We're going to talk about the NBA. We're going to talk about the NFL. We're going to talk about baseball. Of course, we always do best for last. Uh, we're going to start off with the NBA for the first time in probably months. We're going to start off with the association. And as always, when we start off with basketball, we always take a look at those standings. So let's start off with the East. Out East, we have Sixers, Nets, Bucks, Knicks, Hawks, Celtics, Heat, Charlotte, Pacers, Wizards, running out the playing tournament. In our West, we have Utah, Phoenix, Clippers, Nuggets, Dallas, Lakers, Portland, Warriors, Memphis, and the Spurs sitting currently in that 10th seed of the playing tournament. Uh, just looking at some of the win streaks that's going on, the Sixers on a six-game win streak, absolutely getting hot at the right time. You want to be excelling at your best going into the playoffs, along with the Bucks. They're on a four-game win streak right now. Those two possess the two longest win streaks in the NBA, while the Nets, conversely, on the other side, possess the longest losing streak anybody in the currently in the playoffs or the play-in if they have lost four straight, including two in a row to the Milwaukee Bucks, who we'll talk about in a minute. But obviously, the big story last night was Anthony Davis went down. And of course, LeBron didn't play. So the Lakers, let's say it's, it's 60 days ago. It's two months ago. Two and a half months ago. The Lakers are rolling. AD is not playing his best, but most are saying, hey, you got LeBron and AD. You'll be fine in the playoffs. They, need to, they don't need to figure it out by the West Conference Finals, but AD will be fine, whatever. AD gets hurt. Okay, you still got LeBron. LeBron will carry you, and you'll be fine. You know, you got LeBron. You'll be okay. Worst kind of worries to slip a couple seat seedings, but AD back for the playoffs. LeBron will be there. There's a good chance LeBron wins his fifth MVP. He'll set like another record for being like the oldest player ever to win MVP or the most years into a career to win an MVP. It'll be great. It'll be a great story. Then AD will come back. They'll win again. And then Solomon Hill hits the outside of LeBron's ankle. And the narrative has changed around the organization, around the league itself. Because now you've got LeBron James. Ten years ago, high ankle sprain. He had been off it for two weeks. Jogged in practice for about a week and been running around the court dunking on people by week four. 
checking my watch. I believe it's week five or six. And he's still missing games because it's sore. I mean, he might not play again. He's supposed to target next week as his return date. But they don't have very many games left in the regular season. And it is vital, especially with his ankle, they avoid the play-in tournament. Now, I, I'm one to say, okay, the Lakers, let's say they failed a seven. Let's say they in Portland switch. They'd play the Warriors. And if they lost to the Warriors, which I would doubt, they would play either currently Memphis or the Spurs. They'd have to win one of those games to be in the playoffs. I think they'd do it. I'm fairly confident they would pull it off. It's a possibility they won't, but I'm fairly confident they would. It is imperative that the Lakers remain at the sixth seed or even get a way to get to five. Because if they can figure out a way to get to five or stay at six, they get a week off between the end of the regular season and the start of the playoffs, which would give AD time a week off to heal. LeBron another week before he has to go into the playoffs. Etc. Etc. It would give a lot of those guys. It would give Schroeder more time, less games missed because he'll be out of clear out of protocols by the time the playoffs start. The Lakers are in a rough spot right now. Like I said, AD turned his ankle on the scoring table and then back spasm the corner. He's a back tighten up really bad, but he should be fine. Um, you've got LeBron not even traveling to games now, or even appearing at games for the effort to, and I quote, stay off the ankle. According to several reports, it's not looking good in L.A. right now for the Lakers. But then again, you've still got a, a 95, a 90% LeBron James is better than 99% of the players in the NBA. Anthony Davis is still a top 10 player in the NBA. Schroeder, when LeBron and, eight, when LeBron and Schroeder play, they're 28 and 10 this season. And that's not even counting Anthony Davis. It's just LeBron and Schroeder. So if LeBron and Schroeder were there without AD or they had AD, their total record, if those two were active in the lineup, are 28 and 10. And so you get LeBron 90%. Schroeder's out of protocols. AD is AD. I still pick the Lakers out of the West. I don't see a scenario where in that combination of items, someone beats the Lakers. It's possible. I mean, you know, anything's possible, but... I just don't see a scenario where that happens. I don't think it'd be as easy as last year. They never went seven. Uh, they only went to six once. So I, I, I don't think that would happen again this round or this time around. But we had doubts last year and then the Lakers won the title. We have doubts this year and it's a good chance the Lakers may win the title. I mean, it, it, would, it depends on health. If, like I said, if LeBron gets 90%, AD's AD. And Schroeder's on the floor. I give them as good a chance as anybody to win the NBA championship. One of those three things don't happen, specifically the LeBron one. Your chances decrease massively um, of winning the eight. Well, if LeBron's not healthy, they can't win. If AD's in and out, it, they just have a really, really hard chance of winning. If Schroeder's out, it becomes very difficult as well because you already put a not fully healthy LeBron James now even more on the ball giving him more responsibilities on both ends of the floor, which would be challenging for a guy who's still recovering from an ankle sprain. This is the first time his age may be biting him uh, because as long as you avoid injury, pretty much your age doesn't matter. You get a little less athletic, you get a little bit smarter. He kind of balances the way out. Now with injury, your recovery period's on longer. What you think, oh, I'll be fine in three weeks. Okay, I'll really be fine in five or six. And that's what he's at right now. So it'll be a situation to definitely watch for in La La Land. 
uh, shifting across country to the Brooklyn Nets. They've lost four straight, including an L2, the Dallas Mavericks. They've lost to the Bucks twice. I forgot, I forget, I forget their other loss. Their other loss escapes me. And I know what many fans are saying. I hear it a lot. I read it a lot. Oh, they'll be fine. They'll be fine as soon as Harden comes. Harden comes back, they'll be okay. Um, Harden's a rim protector? Because Giannis is averaging like 40, 10, and 5 or something like that against the Bucks season. Or 40, 12, and 5. So some outlandish stat line. Giannis is averaging against the Bucks. Or against the Nets, rather. Harden Harden plays defense? Harden's a run protector. I forgot James Harden led the league in blocks that... Oh, wait, no, he never did. Oh, wait, I, I, I forgot. James Harden, the defensive player of the year, never. Oh, wait, no, I, I forgot that every time Harden guards Giannis or Embiid, that he just really bothers... No, he, he doesn't. I don't get the James Harden thing. When 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 did when did we all agree James Harden was this great playoff performer, especially on defense? I I could have swore we had all agreed that James Harden wasn't that was not playing defense and wasn't that great in the playoffs. Is it because he changed jerseys that he magically became either one of those things? Brooklyn has a problem. They have a problem. Brooklyn's trying to be one of one. In the past 20 years, there's only been one non-top 10 defensive team to win the championship. Meaning, if you were not in the top 10 of defense at the end of your season since the early, since 2000, you have not won a championship. With the exception of one time. Once. That was the 2001 Lakers. Google them. They ranked in the middle of the pack. They were like 14th and 15th in defense in the league. The year prior, they were number one in defense. That's, that's weird. What did those what did the one Lakers do? Oh, they swept the playoffs, except for Allen Iverson lost his mind in game one of the NBA Finals and kept the Lakers from going 16-0. They went 16-1. Oh, and what was their defensive ranking in the playoffs? Number one. Shaq and Kobe, I guess, figured they just didn't have to play defense in the regular season. They still were the top overall seed, I believe. They just had a middle-of-the-pack defense because defense takes effort. And fresh off a title, they didn't give much effort on defense. It's understandable. But in the playoffs, they had the number one defense in the NBA and went 16-1 in the playoffs. But they had shown evidence just the year prior that, oh, no, we can play defense. We can turn it on. We can play defense. They were the number one defense in the league in 2000. And on one, they took the regular season off. I don't blame them. And then they ratcheted up. That was the one case. Oh, Brooklyn's on pace, possibly, and it's them and the Clippers, are fighting for the number one offense of all time. I want anyone to do me a favor. I want them to Google the top 10 offenses of all time. I can help you a little. Ask Luka Doncic whose Mavericks were the number one offense of all time just last season. How did that work out for him when he was watching the second round of the playoffs? I want you to ask Steve Nash, Amari Stoudemire, and Mike D'Antoni how the number one offense, those back-to-back-to-back years in Phoenix, worked out when they were watching 
the NBA Finals from their homes. And look, there's a, there's one side of the ball that gets overlooked in basketball, and it's understandable because chicks dig the long ball, the threes are beautiful, dunking's amazing, scoring 50 points is great. If your defense is average, you cannot win a championship based on historical measures. Now, have we ever seen three people on one team, such as Kyrie, KD, and Harden? Absolutely not. We've never seen a firepower like that on the same team ever, ever. We got closest, in my opinion, with Scottie Pippen, Charles Barkley, Hakeem Olajuwon, and Houston. That was probably the closest you ever got. I mean, D-Wade, Bosch, and uh, LeBron was also an amazing trio. I forgot about that. Excuse me to those guys. Wade, but even if you look at it, Bosch was not a 40-point threat at any point in Miami. If Chris Bosch scored 40 points, at least one of the others had to be hurt. And... Probably two of the guys had to be hurt and Bosch shot a lot of shots. You look at Kyrie, Kevin Love, and LeBron. Kevin Love wasn't going to get you 40. Again, one of the others had to be hurt. Probably two of them. And the only thing they had was Kevin Love. Golden State had Klay Thompson's Curry and Durant. But Klay off the dribble couldn't kill you. Catch and shoot, of course. But off the dribble couldn't really kill you. KD, Kyrie, and Harden off the dribble. Catch and shoot. Pick and roll. Pick and pop. Threes, mid-range, layups are the three is the greatest trio of offensive weaponry in the history of the NBA. They also would be the by far worst defense to ever win a championship. And I am going to bank that that bad defense that allowed the Bucks to get eight straight layups at the end of a game, that allowed the Mavs to win that allowed Giannis to score 40 points a game because they refused to help Blake Griffin for some odd reason. I am going to bet that that bad defense cost them worse than that great offense can help. That's just my bet. I may be wrong. I doubt it. But that is just my bet. I I, I won't go as far as some. Some are saying, oh, the Nets won't see the conference finals. I won't go that far. But they won't make the NBA finals. Either the Sixers or the Bucks will be in the NBA finals out of the East. And I believe both of them, barring LeBron and AD are fully are 90% of themselves, can win the title. I believe I mean if if the Sixers play Utah, give me the Sixers. If the Bucks play Utah, give me the Bucks. If if they played Phoenix, I would take the East. If they played the Clippers, maybe I'd take the West, but who's going to guard Joel Embiid or Giannis? Now, the Clippers can do the wall, but you can't wall Joel Embiid. He's already on the block. And then Nuggets and Dallas and Portland and the Warriors and anybody else that might come out, I'd go East. The LA team's the only team that I'd probably pick over an East Conference champion, not name the Nets. I mean, that's just being perfectly honest here. So if you look at it, I don't see Brooklyn getting to the NBA Finals. I think they're going to, they're the second seed as of now. I believe they're going to stay the second seed. And I believe they're going to have to try to go through a path that involves beating Giannis and then beating Joel Embiid. I don't think those two things will happen. So therefore, the Nets will not see the NBA Finals. Having said all that, it's going to be an amazing fire to watch. 
Um, they're they're going to be super exciting when all three of them on the court. We've only seen it seven times this season due to various injuries, due to Harden or KD. And so, yeah, you know, Kyrie just being out. So you got all those situations happening. I just it's a it's a one of one situation in multiple facets, and I do not think that all the one of ones will line up. All right, shifting gears a little bit, we're going to shift to the bottom of the of the playoff situation, which will be the play in tournament. The Washington Wizards will be in the play in tournament. We're just going to book that now. They're three and a half up with like six left. Um, they were fighting with Chicago, but Chicago had uh, COVID issues. Uh, Zach Levine was out due to safety protocols. So, therefore, um, the Washington Wizards will make it. So, therefore, the East is pretty much decided. Uh, even the seedings, for the most part, are fairly, even like your range of seedings are locked in. Because, for instance, the Knicks won't be past the fifth seed. Uh, Atlanta won't get higher than four. Boston's anywhere from five to eight. You know, you, you, you pretty much got your seedings locked in for the range of the most part. So, the, the East is decided. That cluster mess over in the West is beyond interesting. So, the top four, pretty much top four. Utah, Phoenix, Clippers, Nuggets in no particular order. Uh, well, that's the order right now, but they're going to be the top four. That middle, that next two is the interest, or the next three, I should say, is the interesting one, which is Dallas, Lakers, and Portland are all separated by about a game, maybe a game and a half. I think it's a game, though. The Lakers can get as high as five. They can't get to four. They could go as low as seven. They can't get to eight. Portland can get as high as five. So Portland, Dallas, and the Lakers will be a combination somehow of five, six, and seven. Uh, if I had to put my money on it, I would go it would stay as is. Dallas five, Lakers six, Portland seven. Uh, with Portland being in the playing tournament. The Warriors have played themselves into eight. They're pretty much going to be the eight seed barring some massive collapse uh, of either Portland or the Warriors. The Warriors are going to be eight. And so the pace, I mean, the Memphis Grizzlies pretty much are locked into nine. Like I said, unless the Warriors are something crazy, they're locked into nine. So the spot that gets interesting for the West and the only seed I see still being a play in or play out spot would be the 10th seed in the West. Thanks to the utter collapse of the San Antonio Spurs. And I actually misspoke earlier when I said the Nets have the longest loser streak of one of the teams. It's actually San Antonio who have lost five straight. So the Nets have lost four straight. The Spurs have lost five straight, which opened the door. It creaks it open for the New Orleans Pelicans to get in. Now, last year, if memory, if memory serves correctly, uh, if you guys remember, the NBA created the playing tournament out of thin air. It just appeared. Many people said because the Pelicans had a legitimate shot of getting in that the NBA was creating the pay, the play-in tournament to put Zion on TV, to put Zion on for ratings. Because I forgot who the 10th seed in the West was at the time or the AC seed was at the time. I think it was like the Grizzlies. No disrespect to John Morant, but he doesn't draw what Zion draws. So they were going to use the play-in tournament in hopes that the Pelicans play their way in to the to the playoffs, so that way they can have a Lakers Zion first round, and my God, the ratings go through the roof. Well, of course that didn't happen. The Pelicans went like two and six in the bubble. Um, they even gave the Pelicans the easiest schedule. The Pelicans had like went two and six in the bubble. Uh, they flat out was a mess. Zion was barely playing. He was on a restriction because he hurt himself before 
like during his COVID training, so he hurt himself. He looked out of shape. The team quit on Alvin Gentry. It was bad. The Pelicans were an absolute abject disaster. Um, although the playing tournament did give us the motivation, like Dame said, Dame flat out said, "I'm not going if I'm if I can't play my way in." Like if I, if, I, if they say, "Oh, the seeding decided, and the eight games that you're gonna play is just a basically for money and per, money purposes and warm up games for the playoffs," Dame was like, "I'm not going." So when they created the playing tournament, Dame realized, "Oh, bleep, we can get in the playoffs," and he goes insane. So the playing tournament did gift us; it was meant to give us Zion, end up gifting us Dame time going ridiculous so this year the pelicans sit uh fast forward to this year the playing tournament comes back the reason being oh we're short in games you know we don't know what happened those last 10 games so we're gonna give you know regardless of how far back you are um you have the opportunity if you're the 10 seed to play your way in so if the eight seed is seven games clear of the 10 seed Tennessee still has the right to play their way in to the to the playoffs. So that was something different from last year, because last year that seed had to be within three games of the eight seed to play their way in. The nine had to be within three games of the eight uh, to play their way in. This year it was regardless of record, 10 plays nine, you know, eight plays seven, then the winner and loser, whatever play. So up until about you know, a week ago. I was saying, I said last week, I said the Pelicans have an outside shot at getting in. And I kept saying the Pelicans because they're the only team with a real shot. The Bulls are falling apart thanks to COVID. Um, and I'm like, the Pelicans have the only team with a real shot to get their way in. And now the Kings are into the discussion barely, but they would need a lot of breaks. Um, the Spurs currently sit, as we talk right now, one and a half games in front of the Pelicans. Um, why does this matter? Because it matters because the Spurs also own the tiebreaker over the Pelicans as well. So the Spurs have to lose, have to have a worse record than the Pelicans. There's no, oh, we tied the record, but we have a tiebreaker. We got you. No, the Pelicans, the Spurs flat out have to have a worse record. It's like champions advantage in combat sports where they're like the champion basically has to get knocked out to lose his belt or is, you know, submitted to lose his belt if you're in MMA. Um... The Spurs have to flat out have a worse record. Now, the Spurs finished one of the toughest schedules in the NBA. Uh, include they have Phoenix a couple of times. They've got Milwaukee. They've got Brooklyn. Um, and the, the Pelicans schedule is no cakewalk. They feature the Sixers uh, Friday, tonight, actually. And they have a couple of other uh, tough games on their schedule. This would be huge. And the Spurs are on an absolute backslide. I say this because this is, like I said, the last remaining spot up for grabs i believe the pelicans get the spot now i'm a pelicans fan so take that with a grain of salt if you must um, I'm, I'm a pelicans homer but i believe the pelicans get the spot the spurs are collapsing and there's no central force to stop it because people have sort of realized nobody else is really going to beat me off the dribble and kill me so people are just trapping the living daylights out of DeMar DeRozan and daring DeJounte Murray, daring Derek White, daring the rest of that team to beat them. And over the last five games, that has not happened. So I assume teams will continue to do that. Now, the Pelicans have an issue with injury. Uh, Steven Adams has a toe. He's probably out tonight. Brandon Ingram is already out tonight with a low ankle sprain, not a high one. So he's day to day. Um, and they're playing Philly. So I expect, honestly, I expect the, the Pelicans to lose tonight. 
But the Spurs, in my opinion, only have one winnable game left on their schedule. I believe, or, you know, one game I expect them to win, which is against Sacramento, who's charging themselves. And New Orleans, I believe, has three to four games they can win. If that were to hold, the Pelicans would have the 10th spot and therefore would make the playing tournament and play Memphis in the first game for the right to play the second game, for the right to win that game and get into the playoffs. So, I mean, it's a long, it's a long road, but the season ends May 15th, I believe. And so it is not too far away at all. Well, May 18th, maybe. May 18th. Something, something along those lines. The season ends in just a few days. And so it'll be very interesting to see this play in race. Like I say, with the only really eligible spot becoming the 10th seed out west, thanks to the Spurs' utter collapse. So quickly, we're going to jump to the MVP race. If I had to rank my top five, I would say number one would be Jokic in Denver. You have to reward his consistency. He leads his team in every statistical category, but blocks, uh, ironically. Michael Porter Jr., who is known for not playing defense, actually leads the team in blocks with .9 a game or something like that. Jokic is in second with .7 a game. So Jokic is my MVP at the moment. I think he'll secure it, uh, barring, I don't know what even could happen, really. I think Jokic is the MVP of the league. Chris Paul comes in second. You have to give him credit too. That Suns team, as you remember, speaking of the bubble just a few minutes ago, went 8-0 in the bubble and didn't even make the play-in tournament. So that tells you how bad they were. And now with him, with the addition of him and Jay Crowder, they are the number two seed in the West. So Chris Paul definitely gets consideration for MVP. He comes in second. Joel Embiid comes in third. Had he not been hurt, I believe Joel Embiid wins the MVP of the season. Had he not been hurt the second time, he was already kind of load managing originally. So they were put stealing games from him to rest. Then he gets hurt, so he's going to miss too many games to win the MVP. Had he not been hurt, I believe he is the MVP of the league. And fourth and fifth, who cares? Because nobody else really matters. Um, probably if I had to put a, if I had to name somebody, I would say Giannis and Luca. Maybe I mean, like it, it's really a definite who does, who cares. Julius Randle gets discussion for four and five. Uh, he's been huge for the Knicks, but in perfect honesty, it's a really a who cares moment. For the NBA in terms of four and five for the MVP race. Um, and just one more note on the playoffs right now. The most intriguing matchup for the playoffs would be Knicks and Hawks. I think that'd be the most intriguing matchup in the first round. Unless, unless Lakers get to five and they play the Nuggets. Or the Lakers stay at six and draw the Clippers. Then it would change around in terms of most interesting um, matchups. But right now, I would say the most interesting matchup uh, so far is Hawks and Knicks. Two very evenly matched teams, two completely different styles of team, uh, which would be always nice to see on a field when they, you know, when they clash, when two different styles clash. You've got a tough and gritty team in New York. You've got a more of a happy-go-lucky shooter team in Atlanta. So that'll definitely be something to keep our eye on if and when that matchup does occur. But up next, we're going to shift to the NBA and talk about what's going down there. All righty, guys, and welcome back in 
And now we're gonna shift to the NFL, which is usually our A block. Uh, but the NBA is taking precedent now. Obviously, we're after the draft in the NFL. And so the NBA is taking precedent. We're probably gonna remain our A block for a while, barring something major happens in the NFL. But as you guys know, the NFL draft was just last weekend. Um, and it had a few shockers. We talked about round one on Thursday, our last week's show, so we're not gonna discuss that again too much in depth. But the rest of the draft was quite interesting. So the Raiders obviously took up the board with their first round pick and Alex Leatherwood. Uh, many thought he was overdrafted. I thought he was overdrafted. Uh, Christian, especially with Christian Derrishaw, still on the board. But they decided to go with Alex Leatherwood. But they actually finished the rest of their draft quite well. Travis Morig, uh, who was the top rated safety out of TCU, ended up being a Raider to pair him with Jonathan Abrams or possibly to even replace Jonathan Abrams. Abrams is a hell of a player. I like him, but he's usually injured, usually of his own volition. Um, remember, he's hit a TV crane um, and hurt himself. Oh, temporarily. He didn't. He lost his rookie year to hitting a wall and hurting himself and was out for the year in like week two. So he tends to hurt himself. He's literally a human missile. He treats his body like it's a missile, like he's like a made of like a rubber ball or something. Like it's it just pain for some reason doesn't register in his brain and he runs into stuff all the time. But hopefully he gets that under control because he's actually a really solid player when he's not, you know, injured. And so they got Travis Morig and they made a couple other solid draft picks. They drafted two or three offensive linemen after Leatherwood to try and rebuild the offensive line. They helped destroy in all season by getting rid of Gabe Jackson. Uh, releasing then re-signing Richie Incognito so they are trying to address some of their central issues with the team so good job to the Las Vegas Raiders for that the New England Patriots in my opinion had a hell of a draft uh, not the best draft I believe that either went to the Chargers or the Dolphins so we'll talk about it a minute later a little later rather and the Ravens had a pretty good draft as well but you look at the New England Patriots they did not move Ended up with Mac Jones. Where was Mac Jones projected to go before the San Francisco rumors started flying out? They said, who does he look like? Tom Brady. Where did Tom Brady come from? The Patriots. Who would love to have another guy like Tom Brady? The Patriots. And so the Patriots ultimately did not have to move and ended up with Mac Jones. Now, I believe, remember there was reports that came out. The Patriots are in play at number eight. But they could trade from 15 to eight if certain things happen on the board. I believe the things to happen on the board was Mac Jones going three. If Mac Jones goes three, Belichick trades up to eight and either picks, I think his other, I think his next best love was Trey Lance. Trey Lance looks a hell of a lot like Cam Newton. So I think his next best person was Trey Lance. And if he can get Trey Lance and not have to move, or if he has to move, if he has to move rather, for Trey Lance, that is something he would willing to do. He was never in the Justin Fields. Uh, you can just look at the tea leaves now. He never went to Justin Fields. Had two pro days. Belichick wasn't either. Uh, they had representatives there, but it was never Belichick. Belichick did attend a Mac Jones pro day. He might have attended both of them, but I know he definitely was at one. Um, he went. He sent a lot of representatives to Trey Lance's workout as well in Fargo, North Dakota. So I believe that his number one was Mac, who he also ended up getting. And his number two was Trey Lance, who went three, which then proceeded to let Bill sit and wait to 15 and have the opportunity to draft his number one guy anyway. 
In the second round, Christian Barmore, who I believe was going in the first round, who many people had a first round grade on him. Some saying top 20. I heard top 25. A lot of people had him linked to Tampa because they like he actually play in Tampa. And Dominican Sue and Vita Bay had an injury last year. Dominican Sue is probably going to leave after this current season. And he can play the five tech, the three tech, or the one tech. He can play multiple positions on the defensive line and still have the ability to wreck shops. So I mean, I thought Tampa was going to get him at 32. However, he ended up going to the Patriots at 42. I believe the Patriots traded up uh, to 42 and drafted him there. When you look at Barmore, like I said, he's a very versatile player, something Belichick loves to do. But another guy who was, like I said, very, rated very highly. Now, he does have some off-the-field concerns. Uh, some people say he is uh, immature. Others have said that he needs a very rigorous system to survive in the NFL. Forget thrive, but just to survive. You've got a situation where, you know, they say he, oh, he struggled to get to practice. Meetings were, felt like optionals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of different things coming out now about Christian Baltimore that were not out before the draft. So I don't know if that's a situation of GM smearing a fellow person's draft pick or legitimately there are concerns. Uh, regardless, as a Patriots fan, they are concerning. Uh, when you hear about, you know, a guy you just drafted very highly, who you think could do a lot of things for you, having character issues, having concerns. We've seen that Belichick doesn't tolerate them regardless of who you are. Malcolm Butler was the best defensive corner, was the best cornerback on the team during the Super Bowl run and Malcolm Butler was benched because apparently it was a violation of team rules involving missing a meeting or being late to a meeting and subsequently or consequently rather he was benched for the entirety of the Super Bowl that saw Nick Foles throw for 400 some odd yards score 45 points and beat the New England Patriots on a on one day Tom Brady threw for a still playoff record 505 yards and scored 38 points so Belichick will sacrifice you for team rules. So if Barmore is an issue, which I'm sure he spoke with Nick Saban about this, if it was a real thing, um, you know, I'm sure he spoke to uh, Saban on how to get him to do the best his ability because many thought if Barmore went back to school, he'd be a top 10 pick next season. But he decided to come out this year, which I mean, you can't really blame a guy for make, insuring his money, insuring his bag at this time, especially during all COVID and all the other stuff. Now, a couple of other good drafts that I thought were quite impressive were the Ravens, the Dolphins, and like the Chargers. So if you look at the Ravens, what do they need? Wide receivers. What do they draft in the first round? A wide receiver, a big-bodied, strong wide receiver in Rashad Bateman. Really good at making contested catches. Really good at producing um, yardage. So he'll be fine in Baltimore. Plus, he won't know a system that's not that Baltimore system. So it's it's hard to convince a guy used to getting 75 catches in the NFL. Okay, you're gonna go to 55 catches and you're gonna block for the 20 plays that you know you didn't get. To as opposed to a guy who's from college who doesn't know any NFL system, he's gonna walk in day one and realize, okay, this has to do to succeed here. I have Lamar Jackson, etc. So I'm gonna work my tail off and I'm gonna block for one of two or three unanimous MVPs in NFL history. So that is huge in terms of Baltimore securing Rashad Bateman. They also win field needs in the secondary and in the front seven. So good job for the Ravens. The Dolphins decided to give two or more weaponry. They went and got Jalen Waddle. Then they turned right around and got other weapons later in the draft. Obviously the team's already pretty decent with Devontae Parker 
and they went and got a, a safety, released uh, released a safety the other day, and they drafted a safety, so that'll help the situation with the cap. And the Dolphins are gonna flat out just look at two and say, hey man, you're gonna succeed or you're not. You're gonna sink or you're gonna float because they've given him now ample weaponry to go succeed. This is year two in the, actually, no, this is actually year one in a new system because they fired Chan Gailey, who was there pretty much to, to make Ryan Fitzpatrick successful. They fired Chan Gailey. So this is a new system with new weaponry and two is gonna have to sink or swim, but they're gonna be looking at the quarterback draft, which is actually better than advertised. You look at LSU could produce a Miles Brennan, you look at Sam Howell at uh, UNC. You look at Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma. Uh, there's a couple of smaller school quarterbacks as well that are flying up everybody's radar. So this is a very interesting quarterback draft next year. And if the Dolphins sink, thanks to Tua, they could be in the market to either acquire by sitting at their own pick or trading a up to secure their quarterback of the future. Like I said, if Tua ends up not being the guy. So just a little scheduling news from the NFL. The schedule drops May 12th. So when this podcast comes out next week, we will be doing a full standings breakdown. I'm going to sit down like a little schedule nerd I am and pick win-loss for every team on the schedule. And so that'll decide, you know, who gets it. Remember, it's 17 games now. So there's no more a whole bunch of teams at 8-8. Eight and eight. It'll be a lot of 9-7s in there. It'll be a lot of... Uh, It'll be a lot of nine and eights, a lot of eight and nines, but there will be no more team with the same with the whole with five or six teams, eight and eight, uh, which was the ideal goal for the NFL to have a bell curve, to have most of the league at in between nine and seven and seven and nine, and then have you know a couple of teams be really terrible, a couple of teams be really bad, and then kind of fill in the middle sections. Of uh, the ideal goal for any league is a bell curve. Keep as many teams you can around five hundred. Obviously, there'll be a couple of outliers bad. Obviously, it'd be a couple of outliers, rather, good. But then you'll have your middle group um, with most of your league being centered around at least half or more of your league being centered around 500. So I will definitely be doing that breakdown next week. But sticking on news for this week, um, Jawan James, who is an offensive tackle for the Denver Broncos, suffered a torn ACL in an off-site workout. Um... Uh, sorry, not Tony. See, Tony Achilles in an offside workout and will miss this season. Um, sorry to him for that. Uh, injuries suck, regardless of sport, regardless of fandom, anything like that. Injuries suck. Um, but the reason why I specifically said offsite is because, based on NFL rules and um, contractual language, the team has a right to not pay you if you are injured in an offsite workout. So if you uh, see so if he was in the Broncos facility at Mile High. And Torres Achilles doing the exact same workout with the exact same trainer and the exact same situation happened, he would be, his injury guarantee, his contract will kick in. So pretty much every player in the league has injury guarantees in their contract. So if, you know, I was working at a church facility and I tore my Achilles, for instance, I get so I get 10 million out of my 15 million this year and I get to go buy my business and rehab. Uh, many teams, like I said, have those kind of injury guarantees in the contract, but most of them, if not all of them, have voids in it, such as if you get hurt off-site. Because in theory, I can't prove you were working out off-site. You know, I, I can't prove you weren't doing some dangerous activity and hurt yourself and now you want me to pay, foot the bill for your dangerous activity. So I guess why the language is in there, 
but it's still crappy because everybody works out off-site. We just seen Zeke post a video not too long ago about uh, with him working out off-site, jumping over stuff and dodging trash cans, etc. You've got the Mahomes clips every year of him trying crazy practices in somebody's facility. That's off-site. You've got house, places like House of Athlete run by Brandon Marshall. He talks about all of the guys he helps train. All that's off-site. Off now, what's big about Jawan James is A, this year's $10 million is in jeopardy. Also, technically, last year's is in jeopardy because his contract told because he opted out. So, in theory, the Broncos could keep or retain or ask for a refund of $20 million from Jawan James for working out off-site. Now, this raised a fuss in the NFL player community. Uh, many stars like Patrick Mahomes, a lot of Chiefs players, Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill spoke out as well about if you can't work out, basically the, the language in the contract is is ensuring or wanting players to stop working out off-site. You know, stop uh, doing your drills, anything. Like that, just do it in the building and the, the team's on the hook, the Broncos in this case, on the hook for the finances. It is designed to try and eliminate the use of personal trainers, designed to eliminate the uses of Alex Guerrero, such as Tom Brady, and others if, you know, this personal trainer hurts you, basically, or you hurt yourself doing the training session, and you still want to foot the bill for it. So that is a huge development. I didn't know that was a thing. I thought if he got hurt, you hurt, it got hurt, as long as it was proven football activities. But I did not know that you had to be on property to have those guarantees kick in. And so, therefore, it is a strong possibility that the Broncos do not, in fact, honor the injury guarantee and void the contract. So that would be a huge amount of loss for Jawan James. Like I said, obviously, he didn't play last year, so his contract told. But having a situation where you lose $20 million and a recovery from a torn Achilles is not the most ideal situation for a very large guy like him. So hopefully the Broncos do not uh, enact that stipulation in his contract and allow him to get his money for this season as he was trying to get himself back in shape or in shape rather for, like I said, uh, not being out last season and uh, being out last season rather and being prepared to go for this year. And now, of course, the biggest news going on in the NFL right now is the impending divorce of Aaron Rodgers and Packer management. Now, I am not one to say that, oh my God, you know, Aaron Rodgers this and Aaron Rodgers that, and he's such a bad guy. We've seen him have issues with family, and we've seen him have issues with teammates, we've seen him have issues with whoever. That's true. All those things are true. Aaron Rodgers has been a very difficult person for the vast majority of his life. However, in this case, I got to go to Aaron Rodgers here. I mean, let's just, let's just think about this. Let's think about this. You were an accountant at a job. You know, you were the number one accountant. You've been the number one accountant for 12 years. You were the very highly recruited accountant, but you are the top accountant in your firm. And you said, hey, guys, I could really use some calculators to really help my job out. Some brand new calculators. I already have a good one. But I could really use another solid calculator to help do basic stuff. And they respond with, well, we could, but we're going to allow Jimmy from HR to take a couple extra days off vacation and sort of make up that money. We're not going to order you that calculator. You think, all right, that's a little weird, but I mean, hey, I, I'm, I'm the whole reason your firm's open. So, you know, to take care of me in the end of the day. 
And then you go to management again and you say, hey, I would like a strong, a higher quality of paper. That way I don't rip through it, you know, and I'm writing scrupulous notes. I don't want to tear through the paper. I would like a higher grade of paper. And they respond, well, we could, but we decided to hire our junior accountant today. You know, train him up real nice. Maybe one day he can get to your level. And you say, excuse me? Because that's basically what the Packers did to Aaron Rodgers. They basically were a married couple and openly went and got a side piece. I mean, I mean, that's basically what it was. The Packers organization and Aaron Rodgers are married. And the Packers decided to openly go get a side piece and came back to the wife and said, I hope you're okay with this. Please be okay with this. Because that is literally insane. And so is the way that the Packers have been treating Aaron Rodgers over these past few days. Hello, these past few years. You trade up in the draft and you draft a quarterback when you have plenty of other needs. You just got mud stomped by the San Francisco 49ers twice, one in the regular season, one in the NFC Championship game. They literally ran you off the field because Jimmy G only threw eight passes. They completely ran you off the field. You draft a quarterback who did not help you. Most games, he didn't travel because he was third string, and you want to use that travel spot for a guy who's going to actually possibly contribute to the organization. In the last decade, you've drafted one offensive player in the first round. That would be the, oh, wait, aforementioned back of quarterback who didn't play. Aaron Rodgers, for the past few years, along with fans, has been clamoring for another receiver. You still really only have Devontae Adams, Jared Cook is gone. You lost Ryan Lindsley. I mean, you retained Aaron Jones, but then you drafted Dylan last year in the second round. I was a running back. And then you went and drafted another running back this year. So you're just adding on the issues Aaron Rodgers is saying. I'm completely with Aaron Rodgers on this one. If he truly wants out of Green Bay, I am with him. He would be the third major quarterback in a row for Green Bay to leave before the 17th season, joining Bart Starr. And Brett Favre's guys who played 16 seasons for the Green Bay Packers and ultimately had to move on. Brett, Brett Star, Bart Star rather, via trade. Uh, Brett Favre is via trade as well, basically. Uh, he was traded for assets to the Minnesota Vikings or New York Jets. I believe it was the New York Jets. Um, and so this is a situation where you're going to have to trade Aaron Rodgers because now you're at a point where you're talking about each other in public. You're, you're embarrassing each other in public. You have Brett Favre. They're defending Aaron Rodgers, so that had to come from somewhere. I'm going to go with Aaron Rodgers. You got Aaron Rodgers leaked text messages saying, calling Brian Gutenkuntz, who is the GM of the Packers, calling him Jerry Krause, which if you watch The Last Dance, you know how dismissive and how above Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan felt about that, about um, Jerry Krause. They thought he was the worst little man on planet Earth. And now Aaron Rodgers is comparing that guy who garnered no respect. I, would, I was going to say little to no respect. He garnered no respect from Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan about how they felt about him. Hell, he knew it. They said it openly to his face. Um, comparing him, Jerry Krause, to Brian Gutenkunz was on purpose. It was not to say Jerry Krause. I mean, just not to say Gutenkunz, just like Jerry Krause 
was an amazing team builder that helped win multiple championships, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It was because you don't respect him and you want him to know you don't respect him. That's why it was leaked and why it came on the media. It was also reported it through the media that uh, he wants Gutenkunst fired or Aaron walks or it was another situation that they were stipulated, but the main one was Gutenkunst or me, basically, uh, is the question currently posed to the board of directors and uh, for the Green Packers. Obviously, they don't have an owner, so their board controls any major transaction, hell, any transaction, period. The board has to approve it, but um, that was a decision he asked to Packers brass. You want Brian Gutenkunst or you want myself? Now, Aaron Rodgers is 38 years old, so he is not in a spring chicken. He may have two to four years of high-level play left in him. I don't see him as a Tom Brady-type guy with amazing nutrition and work ethic and can just flat-out play much past the years of his prime. I definitely see Aaron Rodgers as a guy who's 40, 41, and saying, all right, I'm out. But if you're a team like Denver and you have to compete against Patrick Mahomes and Drew, not Drew Locke, Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert and Derek Carr, and you currently have Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater giving up what the Packers are asking for, which is two first and a second, it's pretty easy decision for me. I mean, I do it in a heartbeat. The Giants, you have multiple firsts in the draft next year, multiple thirds, multiple fourths. The Giants can easily, in one fell swoop, trade both firsts, trade, you know what I'm saying, trade both firsts a third and a fourth for Aaron Rodgers today. Or if they want to stretch it out, keep one of their first, trade a first in 2023. One of your first you have next year, a third and a fourth. And you have Aaron Rodgers, if, if that's the asking price. And so I would make that move if I was the Giants. I'd also make it if I was Denver. But all in all, this is a very convoluted situation. Clearly, Aaron wants out. He's making it known he wants out. He's going through the media. He's going through teammates. He's going through places he knows that Brian Gutenkunst has to watch, pay attention to, and at least care about. And so this is a great job by the Rodgers team. I know they're the one leaking this information. It would make no sense if Gutenkunst did it. Although, I mean, him in common sense has sort of been a little lacking lately. But, um, yeah, so it's a huge moment for Aaron Rodgers in the NFL. I am definitely looking forward to figuring out what the hell happens with the situation. I think the Packers are going to well Packer it uh, throughout their entire life. They are build a 401k and wear khaki pants and be conservative and we don't ever want to get caught with a bad quarterback because we know what it's like to be irrelevant between Barstar and Brett Favre. We know what that's like. We don't ever want to be caught with a bad quarterback because like I said, they understand the, the irrelevant state that you can be in. And so the Packers brass decided to draft Jordan Love. The millisecond Aaron Rodgers showed decline. Turns out, horrible decision. Aaron Rodgers only turned that into an MVP season and one of the three or four greatest NFL quarterbacking seasons ever. And so now you've got a guy, Jordan Love, who can't help you unless Rodgers moves on, which he leaked through the media the day of the draft. He would like to move on. And so this is absolutely huge for the entire landscape of the NFL. But up next, we are going to shift to some Major League Baseball. I'm talking about what's going down on the diamond.
Alrighty guys, and we are back and we're going to jump right into a little Major League Baseball and we're going to talk about what's going down there. Again, just like basketball, we tend to look at the standings out here in baseball and in the American League, we have the following, if the season were to end today, how would the playoffs look? So you have the Red Sox at one, the Oakland A's at two, the Cleveland Indians at three, the Chicago White Sox at four, the Tampa Bay Rays at five, the Toronto Blue Jays at six, and then you would have the San Francisco Giants in the National League. You would have the San Francisco Giants at one, the St. Louis Cardinals at two, the Philadelphia Phillies at three, the San Diego Padres at four, the Milwaukee Brewers at five, and the Los Angeles Dodgers at six, although Brewers and Dodgers would depend on a tiebreaker for being five and six. The Dodgers were the number one team in baseball, and I said it, many others said it. This would be one of the greatest teams ever assembled. And then a couple of weeks ago, what did I say? I said, huh, they got a bullpen problem. And you don't win championships with a bullpen problem. I mean, you could have in starting pitching and have a hell of a bullpen and survive. You can have okay bats and have a hell of a bullpen or a pitching staff and win a championship. You ain't winning Jack Diddley squat without a good, without a solid bullpen at least. Where you can go to them and say, worst kind of worst, they'll give up one, maybe two, but they only give up three, four, five, or six. The Dodgers are absolutely squandering lead. They squandered another one last night or the night before that. Up, multiple runs, bullpen comes in, squanders the lead. You saw that against the Padres, they squander leads over and over. You, the Dodgers went from a team I was prepared to go into. I was already thinking about it. I was going to go into the next, into the, my offseason at post-World Series podcast going, oh, my God, the Dodgers are one of the greatest five teams ever assembled in baseball. They went from that position to all of a sudden they are, well, good. They're a great team, but they're not that. All those teams had great bullpens, good starting pitching, good bats. So the Dodgers have good starting pitching, or hell, great starting pitching, good to, good to great bats depending on the night, and they have a, well, terrible bullpen. And so when your bullpen struggles like that and routinely gives up lead after lead and runs after runs, you are incapable of winning a championship. So I am going to stake my claim. March 7th, 2021, the Los Angeles Dodgers will not win the Major League Championship. It is going to be one of the most disappointing teams in a few years, possibly the decade, uh, the last decade, the last 10, 12 years, uh, because this team has all the talent, minus the bullpen, to be a very dominant team and to win 115 games and then go into the regular, go into the playoffs and crush everybody and win a World Series. That's what the starting pitching and the bats tell you. The bullpen tells you this is a, a 81 win team who's not going to make the playoffs. And, you know, they're not, if they make the playoffs, they're not going to get past the division around. I mean, I mean, that's just being honest. They're not going to pass the divisional series. I mean, the NLDS would be the ceiling for this team if, if it was just their bullpen. I mean, so you combine those two, maybe you get an NLCS appearance or a World Series appearance, but I just don't see this team not with that bullpen winning. A World Series. Now, if they get some, if they go trade for a couple of guys, or those guys just get better and they get their bullpen issues figured out, then maybe you've got a situation where you can overcome your deficiencies and win a championship. But uh, as it sits right now, I would not put my money 
on the Dodgers to win. I actually put them on the Dodgers to not win. Um, the Yankees are charging. Remember the Yankees? Remember there was, oh my God, the Yankees for the first time in however many years are the last place team solely in the American League. And now they're three games out of first place. Yep, they're just that fast. Just that quick. Just It happened just that fast. They beat the Astros in a series to one. And they've been, you know, just right along, chugging along, coming on down the mountain when she comes. Because it is a 162-game season. And people were panicking after game like 15. That would be the equivalency of in the NFL panicking after week two. And in the NBA panicking 10 games in. Yeah, it's pretty dumb when you think about it. So, the Yankees are charging along. Well, Giancarlo Stanton's on a 12-game hit streak. The pitching staff is doing great. Bullpen let the Yankees down last yesterday, rather, against the Astros. But other than that, they are coming right along. They are just chugging on along. They're now two games above 500. And like I said, they're three games or so out of first. And we're still 30-some games into the season with 120-something games left for most people. So it is going to be a long season. I expect the Yankees to be in the playoffs. And I don't see any evidence why that wouldn't happen at this point. Because their bullpen, unlike the Dodgers, is solid. So the, the, the Dodgers' bullpen is shaky. But the Yankees have solid bullpen. They have solid starting pitching. They have explosive bats. Not particularly contact bats where you get, you know, big time, big time uh, batting averages. But you'll get monstrous home runs. They're still the Bronx Bombers. You see that with Aaron Judge. You see that with Giancarlo Stanton. You see that with the other guy on the roster. Uh, those guys are built for home runs. They're swinging for the fences a lot. And so it leads to games where they can't get on the board because they don't know how to get the home run. And then it leads to games where they score eight or nine, you know, and because they're just bombing everything over the fence. So, but right now the formula is starting to work. You know, there was doubts whether the formula could even work anymore in modern Major League Baseball. And now the formula is starting to work. Like I said, they're only a couple of games out of first place in the AL East. So that is huge. You can say the turnaround that they have been enduring. Um, the biggest news out of Major League Baseball, which is, you know, like I said, baseball is not going to be something I talk about weekly. It's going to be something like amazing news and thing happens, and then I'm going to talk about the rest of the sport. Uh, the major news thing to happen was the release and probable end of Albert Pujols' historic Hall of Fame First ballot should be unanimous, probably won't be because the baseball writers are haters. Um, Hall of Fame career uh, came to an end yesterday. Um, he is not a obviously he is not officially announced retirement. Um, obviously, he may still want to play, um, but the Los Angeles Angels released Albert Pujols yesterday. Um, they designated him for assignment, and they also known as releasing him. Um, he was batting below the Mendoza line. This season, he was batting 189. Uh, he's been in the Major League Baseball. This is his 21st season or something like that. He's been in since 2001 or his 20th season, something along those lines. Uh, he entered in 2001. For context, I was four. So I do not know a world where the machine, Albert Pujols, is not in Major League Baseball. Um, he absolutely top 10 hitter of all time. Like I said, first ballot Hall of Fame should be unanimous, won't be because of the baseball haters. Uh, career, it's absolutely spectacular. Like I said, Cardinals won a couple of World Series with them, or a World Series with them. Then he goes to the Angels, and they never win anything, but he's a great player for them for a few years before 
age and attrition catches up to him. Um, absolutely spectacular human. His family has done a lot of great things for the game of baseball. Uh, there's reports now that he will transition right into some sort of front office capacity for the team that, you know, he'll move right into the front office for the organization and therefore he will be connected to the game of baseball for a very long time. Uh, baseball is not done with Albert Pujols and Albert Pujols is not done with baseball. But congratulations to him on an absolutely spectacular career, an amazing career. Um, you know, it was like I said, it was just amazing. I said, I don't know a world where Albert Pujols is not in Major League Baseball. So that would be very, uh, pretty interesting to see. He's been there, like I said, 20 years. Uh, two great franchises, Angels and the Cardinals. And absolutely, like I said, spectacular career. Accolades, too many to count. And he will be in Cooperstown before you know it. He, Like I said, he should be unanimous first ballot, but he won't be unanimous because of the haters in the baseball media. He probably pissed off some writer 15 years ago, and the writer's not going to vote him in on first ballot as his gets his poke back to him on Albert's way into the Hall of Fame. So who knows even with those guys, uh, those guys are wild. Um, some great players don't even make the Hall of Fame in baseball. It's insane. But Albert Pujols will be there without a shadow of a doubt. But up next, we're going to shift to best for last, which will be a discussion about Detroit Pistons legend Isaiah Thomas. Alrighty guys, and welcome back into the show. And now we're going to talk about Detroit Pistons legend Isaiah Thomas. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because recently we've had all-time point guard discussions. We've had Scott Brooks say that Russell Westbrook is the second greatest point guard of all time. We've had guys, you know, now Curry's on his magical run going insane over the past few months and so that's brought up oh is Steph Curry the best of all time or if he's not the best he's two or three and I'm hearing you know I'm hearing a lot of names in the discussion I'm hearing Steph Curry now Russell Westbrook saw his name in the hat Magic Johnson John Stockton Steve Nash Jason Kidd etc and a name that gets skipped over by a lot of fans and it shouldn't is Isaiah Thomas of the Detroit Pistons Isaiah Thomas of the Detroit Pistons he built the, not the newest arena, which is the Caesars Arena, but the Palace at Auburn Hills was built by Isaiah Thomas. So the United Center was, was the house that Jordan built. The, um, you know, they always get credit to what credit is due, you know, when like a, a famous player comes in. But like Staples was built by Magic Johnson. You know, they, he, he, he made so much money for the form, they built Staples. Uh, Jordan made so, so much money in the old Chicago Arena that they built the United Center. Magic Johnson, not Magic Johnson. Uh, Isaiah Thomas made so much money in their first, and they were playing like a football salary game so big that they built the Palace at Auburn Hills because of it. Magic Isaiah Thomas, I keep saying Magic Johnson. Isaiah Thomas is the reason why, in my opinion, the '80s has reputation. So we always talk about the '80s being this rough and tough, and it was football, basketball, and it was. No flagrant fouls. They put you on your butt and they didn't care about you. They didn't like you if you weren't that team. They weren't friends with you, etc. We get the reputation from the 80s. The 90s, it starts to soften up a little bit, just a little bit. When the Pistons really fade out, then it softens up a little bit. You had the Knicks and the Pacers series that was wars. But in general, guys aren't really throwing each other on the ground like that anymore. If you get what I'm saying. 
but the 80s get their tough, rough, fighting reputation from one team, the Bad Boy Pistons, because even in that rough and tough era, they were the baddest. And who was their little general? Isaiah Thomas, formerly known as Zeke, or sometimes called Zeke, I should say. Isaiah Thomas is the only superstar from that era to embody what the 80s came to be remembered for. Because Michael Jordan didn't. Why? Because those Pistons put the Jordan rules on him. Magic Johnson didn't. He was smiling magic. Now, he, now they said Magic would stab you in your face smiling at you the whole time. He, he was he smiled at you and killed you. But he was smiling at you. He, he and Isaiah were friends. He had he respected that Leah Braid as a competitor. He obviously, like I said, was smiling. He was the face and he was magic. Larry Bird didn't embody that. Larry Bird was physical, but he wasn't the Pistons. Magic Johnson, James Worthy, Byron Scott, Kareem Dujabar, and the rest and the rest of that Lakers team, they were physical under Pat Riley. They weren't the Pistons. The, the Cavs, the Hawks. All the other good teams, the Pacers, they were physical. They were tough. They weren't the Pistons. The only person that embodies the what the 80s stood for on the court and what it's remembered as is the Pistons, led by that little general Isaiah Thomas, and everybody hated him for it. Michael Jordan hated Isaiah Thomas for what he did to him early in his career, putting him on the ground all the time, making sure he didn't have a free layup, physically abusing him to the point where he made Michael Jordan lift weights and change his body and then they switched it and started abusing Scottie Pippen because Pippen wasn't as tough as Mike didn't get the abuse Mike got so he never toughened his body up and they beat Scottie Pippen so bad he had a migraine in the game seven and couldn't play he beat Larry Bird Larry Bird to the point of fighting he fought the Pistons like once a year they beat Magic Johnson so bad Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thomas didn't even like each other for like 20 years I mean, they did what the 80s are remembered for, and every superstar in the 80s hated the Pistons and Isaiah Thomas to the point where they kept Isaiah Thomas off the dream team because they said he was a bad hang and that they did not want him. Now, they, now, now they wanted Chuck Daly. They would play under Chuck Daly, and that's fine. But they got their revenge on Isaiah Thomas for helping spearhead the bad boy Pistons that everybody remembered the 80s for and everybody hated Isaiah Thomas. Now, I have Isaiah Thomas as my second greatest point guard of all time because if you can do that to Larry Bird, Matty Johnson, and Michael Jordan, three of the most mentally toughest superstars ever, and you got them pissed off at you to the point where they had to get revenge on you years later and not let you on a dream team instead of putting John, instead of putting John Stockton on the dream team, because they were pissed at you from whooping their butts all through the 80s. I mean, Isaiah Thomas got two rings back-to-back in the middle of Magic Johnson and Larry Bird's reign. Larry Bird did not win a championship once the Pistons won. Didn't win. Larry Bird won in 81, 84, and 85, if I'm serving it correctly. The Pistons won 86 and 87 or something like that. The Pistons went back-to-back. Larry Bird didn't win again. He won two rings in the middle of Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar winning their five together between 79 and 90. Isaiah took two. Michael Jordan could not win a ring in the 80s because he couldn't get through the Pistons. And everybody hated Isaiah Thomas because of what he did to them, and he deserves way more credit than what he gets, way more recognition than what he gets, and flat-out should be the number two-rated point guard on everybody's list, argue with your grandma, 
that the little general was not the second greatest point guard ever. Magic's one. We're not even going to debate that. Don't bring that up. But the number two guy is where the debate starts. And I, for me, in my money, it's Magic. It's Isaiah Thomas as the second best point guard of all time. That little general that ran the bad boy Pistons. But hey, don't listen to me. Listen to all the guys that hated him because he beat their butts physically and on the scoreboard and got revenge on him for the Dream Team. Didn't like him. Didn't talk to him in 20 years. Some say they still hate him. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. Like, he, I mean, he's had his personal struggles later in life. He's done something he shouldn't have done later in life. But that does not change what he did through the through the late 70s and the 80s for what he did until he's ultimately his Achilles, I think, goes and shuts him down. So up until that point, Isaiah Thomas was the person nobody wanted to see. They all hated him. Nobody liked him because he did what they talked about. He did what people remember, man. Oh, man, the 80s was so physical. That was because of the bad boy Pistons and that little general, Isaiah Thomas. So give him the credit he deserves, as my opinion, as the second best point guard of all time. And so that is my speech on Isaiah Thomas. That is my talk on Isaiah Thomas. And that is where we will conclude the show this week. This is an absolutely great show, a loaded show. I got a little passionate there at the end, uh, speaking about Isaiah Thomas. But he, he, I mean, he was a great player, but we're going to wrap it up here. Don't forget, remember, follow the show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, Just In Time Sports, obviously, and on Twitter and Instagram, at Daytime Sports. I hope you guys have a great weekend and a great next week. Uh, this is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.